Inspired Execution is a podcast featuring tech leaders from some of the world's largest enterprises and fastest-growing startups. Hosted by Datastax Chairman and CEO Chet Kapoor, each episode follows a leader's journey to scaling a massive business while inspiring their teams. Join us to learn about the experiences that have shaped them, challenges they've overcome, and the advice they'd give to their younger selves. Piyush Gupta is the CEO of DBS Group, a bank at the forefront of leveraging digital technology to shape the future of the financial services industry. In this episode, you'll learn why Harvard Business Review called DBS one of the top 10 global companies leading strategic transformations in the last decade. Piyush gives advice on how to create a culture by design, starting with his belief that everyone is capable of adapting to change. He discusses Simon Sinek's concept of the infinite mindset and underlines the importance of managing what you measure. Piyush, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate you making the time. Well, very happy to uh, do this with you, Chet. Looking forward to it. So you've been at DBS for 12 years. And during your 27 years at City, you did 22 jobs in multiple countries, including a one-year stint as a tech entrepreneur leading your own startup. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, you know, one of the nicest things about uh, City um, used to be, perhaps still is, uh, that they took a chance on you when you were relatively young. And the, the training system at City, I used to say, was they threw you off, uh, you know, into the deep end of the pool and you learned to swim. That certainly worked in my case. And so I had a very broad um, career. Uh, unlike a lot of other um, you know, bankers, I started off with operations and technology and, you know, core product management. So I cut my teeth on knowing the innards of how a bank really works, including the technology systems. I helped to automate the bank first in India. I helped to create the first data centers, uh, move technology into Singapore. Um, and then uh, over the years, uh, since my range of assignments was quite uh, broad, I got to dabble with the first internet and intranet applications in the mid-90s, including e-commerce applications and so on. And so you're right, I did a stint as an entrepreneur. I tried to set up my own dot-com, uh, which bombed. So I uh, sort of came back to banking in uh, 2000. The breadth of experience I had uh, over those years turned out to be really uh, helpful. So when in 2009, DBS approached me to um, you know, uh, be CEO of this bank, I thought I was uh, uh, fairly well positioned to help DBS chart a new course. You know, DBS has a great um, um, pedigree. It's you know, owned 30% by the Singapore government effectively. It was set up to you know, help in the development of Singapore. So it was great parentage, great heritage. But somehow it lost its way in the early part of the 2000s. We'd been losing market share. We'd been taking some big negative uh, hits, both credit hits and other hits in the uh, mid-2000s. Uh, and therefore, there was some uh, you know work to be done. The DBA journey itself, Chet, as I think about it, I think about it in uh, three parts. I, in fact, sometimes call them uh, three waves. Uh, the first of those was, I guess, between 09 and 012 or 13, three, four years. And that was really one about just committing to a strategy. We chose to focus on Asia. It's a big part of the world. It's growing nicely. Uh, we know the culture. We know the place. Um, and we sort of benefited from China's opening up. Uh, but more than the strategy, what that first uh, wave really defined for us was, uh, I call getting the plumbing right. I mean, DBS needed to get a lot of stuff done in very fundamental terms. Uh, technology platforms, credit uh, policies, MIS and measurement systems, they had none. We were flying blind. 
our vision in phase two, uh, it was quite audacious for us. Uh, we decided to, you know, set about trying to be uh, uh, named the best bank in the world. In fact, uh, I had my management team and we sort of uh, strung together a masthead of the New York Times dated 2020 uh, with the headline saying DBS voted best bank in the world. Uh, so phase two was a real commitment to change. And frankly, there's been one of our most defining uh, features. I think one of the first banks in the world which is able to orchestrate a program of change that worked. If you remember, this is the time, Chairman, people said legacy companies like us are dinosaurs. We can't change, so we'll always lose to the kids in a startup. This is one of the most satisfying parts of uh, the journey, uh, the change we were able to make. By 2018, we were already being called the best bank in the world. In fact, now we've been named that three years in a row by different publications and magazines. So in 2018, we decided, uh, you know, it's time to think a little bit uh, uh, further along. And we launched what I call the third wave. And uh, this is, um, I call it the sustainability wave. But it was um, actually informed by the idea, Simon Sinek's idea of um, uh, infinite thinking and infinite companies. And it was really uh, born of the idea that, you know, it's not just good enough to be the best in the world or beat a competition. You know, how do we do uh, things that make a bigger impact? And so the new vision we set for ourselves was a shift from being the best bank in the world to what we now call the best bank for a better world. And the last three years, we've been singularly engaged on that. On top of everything that we do, how do we continue to make impact in bigger and more profound ways? So and it's been a long answer, but to just give you a sense, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a rewarding journey and uh, it's been a lot of fun. We'll dig into the waves in a bit, but you know, if I look at your illustrious career, what came easy and what was hard? Well, the hard thing, Chet, is I think always the same. It's about people. So... Along the way, I said, we've been trying to change culture and changing culture is very, very hard. In the first phase, I told you, we tried to make DBS a more meritocratic culture. Sometimes I like to say we're trying to make DBS more like a Western multinational, like a General Electric or, you know, one of the iconic uh, uh, U.S. multinational companies. And then in 2014, we sort of turned, uh, pivoted a bit. And said, forget all that, we're going to start all over again. And we want to really behave and look and feel like a startup, a Silicon Valley startup. Now, you know, all of these are not easy to do. But I have to say that I am now, uh, from experience, convinced that you can you can make cultures. Culture by design, that's my mantra. I think you can create culture by design. And so it took us a lot of work, continues to be a lot of work. But we've been constantly orchestrating programs of change and programs of culture change. But that continues to be the hardest part of what we do. Uh, interestingly, the easier uh, part of what we needed to do uh, really turned out to be the actual business imperatives. You know, we've more than tripled the bank in the last decade. Uh, and this, uh, I believe, because if you identify the right mega trends. And you build a strategy and you focus on execution around those mega trends, uh, the tide carries you along. And so in the first phase, we benefited from China's opening up, and that's been fantastic. In the second phase, our relentless focus on digitization in a world where digital consumption was already on us, especially in Asia, you know, Indonesia, Philippines, uh, India, they're all young people, everybody's, you know, digital natives. And so you try to build a strategy on the back of an existing megatrend and wave. That's always uh, obviously helpful. No, that is, uh, that, that is for sure. On a personal level, what came easy and what was hard? You know, the idea of um, leading a team of people um, was relatively 
uh, straightforward. Let me at least say it's something I had done before. Uh, my last stint at City was the head CEO for the region. And so organizing, strategizing, leading a team of people, setting an agenda uh, is stuff I had some experience with. What I did not have experience with is the rest of the paraphernalia and accoutrements and requirements that come from being the CEO of a listed company. And that includes uh, shareholder management, uh, investor relations, investor management, uh, and perhaps most of all, uh, working with the board. Uh, you know, it's quite easy to figure you run the company, but in a public listed company, frankly, the board runs the company. And therefore, how do you work and make sure you um, organize and synergize your own actions with uh, a board, a well-meaning board, some, uh, but you know, how do you get alignment with them is um, something I've not had experience with. So that is something I had to work on. I get along extremely well with the chairman of the board. He's been um, uh, fantastic. And so that's been quite helpful. But I have seen, um, obviously, many circumstances and situations where the biggest challenge the company has is the lack of alignment between the board and the management. Let's talk a little bit about culture by design, right? Let's talk about your mantra. When you're making a shift, right, you go from a, a GE model to a startup model. There are many aspects to it, but there are a couple key parts. It is people and metrics, right? Because you have to have the goalpost well-defined and you have to make sure people understand the journey, the path it takes to get to the goalpost, right? Um, but you also have to have the right people in the right jobs and not everybody is going to make it, right? How did you deal with the reskilling part and making sure that people really kind of attach to the new mission? Yeah, so I guess that two or three different questions in the chat, but let me address one where I'm a little um, contrarian, unorthodox even. Uh, and that is, you know, can uh, everybody make it and by and large, can people change and reskill? In fact, I tell this story often. Uh, I just, um, you know, uh, studied my father uh, who was back in India in his mid 80s. And I reflected one evening that he changed the way he lived. He was, um, you know, using his mobile phone to do banking. He was doing his taxes online. He ordered something online on e-commerce. And I figured this guy is in his mid-80s and he's changed in his personal life. In fact, it struck me that every one of us has changed the way we live personally. You take any of our smartphones and look at the apps there. And we're all hailing taxis and we're booking, uh, you know, uh, rides very differently from the way we did. So it struck me if we can all make changes in our personal life, what makes us think that we cannot change our way of thinking in our professional life? Uh, the extension of that was really um, a second intuition, uh, which came to me from my experience at City. That if you don't involve everybody, you wind up creating a we versus they uh, system. The people who are driving change feel privileged and the rest of the people feel left behind. And that creates too many silos in the company. So I was uh, wedded to this idea of taking everybody along. In fact, I coined this... Uh, Monica called, uh, you know, creating a 20,000 people startup. I wanted everybody to be on the journey. Uh, I figured the main thing you need to do is change the inside of the company in two important ways. One, you've got to recognize that adults learn by doing. So you have to create an environment where it's okay to experiment. You teach people, you show them how to do and give every opportunity for, to, for people to learn uh, by participating and doing stuff themselves. And the second, you've got to create an environment where it's okay to take some risk. It's okay to experiment. And you do not have to be worried that you're going to lose your bonus or lose your job because something got screwed up. 
so we worked very hard on trying to create that environment uh, where you could do these things. We created accelerators, we created hackathons, we created a thousand experiments was my KPI for the company in 2016. Um, we also embraced journey thinking at scale because we also figured the best way to get what we want to is create a rubric which is quite clear that if it's good for the customer, you go ahead and do it. And so this idea of customer obsession, again, we, we really focused relentlessly on it. On the back of that, I'm now convinced, it's been seven, eight years, that by and large, most people want to change. Most people are capable of changing. You don't need to make everybody a coder. You don't need to make everybody a data scientist. But you do need to change people's mindsets to understanding how do you use technology and how do you get more entrepreneurs. So today as a company, I, mean, I think we don't have 100%, but I think 70, 80% of the people that we have uh, are on the bandwagon, and so you know, over time, it's a trickle down. We've been able to get a lot of uh, lot of change, uh, but you have to have belief in people. You've got to create the opportunity for them to do things, and like I said, you've got to trust people and give them a chance to experiment. By the way, the second hardest thing, other than culture, that I've uh, seen in the last decade, is the whole issue around data, because if you have the right data, then you can create the right measurement metrics. Uh, I'm a big believer in you manage what you measure. So we've always had uh, measurement. But if you don't have the right instrumentation, you just don't know uh, what you can measure correctly. So in the last five years, we've worked really hard on instrumentation uh, and trying to make sure that we can instrument everything we have. And therefore, we start trying to get the right uh, sorts of data and the right sorts of measurement metrics. Uh, and then we had to change our scorecards. We actually redefined a whole section in our scorecard um, which defined the chain metrics that we wanted to see. And we just uh, cascaded it down the whole company. So there's a lot of alignment from the teller in the branch and the coal face right to the top on what are the chain metrics that we're all trying to uh, drive towards. By the way, it is a contrarian view, right? Everybody I talk to will always have the people that make it and people who don't. And they have different ways of looking at it. Age is one of it, experience is the other, right? There's lots of different, you know, if there's a fundamental platform shift, it changes, right? And in the tech world, what's, you know, if you come from a COBOL world, will you be able to make it to a JavaScript world as an example? Orthogonal question or maybe related to this is, how did you deal with time, right? Because you want to be impatient through a change, but yet create enough space and have enough patience for the change to happen. You find yourself speeding up, slowing down, or you just said, this is going to take three years and that's how it's going to happen. The truth is that you've got to be willing to invest on things that you know are going to have paybacks over three, four, five years. Uh, at the same time, as a public company in particular, you've got to keep demonstrating short-term progress, otherwise you won't be around for the long term. I think that's an art, it's not a science. And trying to figure how you allocate resources, whether it's capital or time, in a clever way, that you get enough progress in the short term, you keep the lights on, and you keep uh, 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 doing that not just to satisfy you know, shareholders, investors, but you need to also do that to build momentum and confidence in your own team. Uh, if people don't see progress and low-hanging fruits, they begin to give up themselves. So you have to do enough things and enough, uh, like I said, low-hanging fruit to create that. But at the same time, you need to have a vision for the things that are going to pay off in three, four, five years. So for all of our platforms, we really run three horizons. Horizon one, which is the short-term stuff, and horizon three, which is the three, five-year stuff. And when we are allocating time, resources, budgets, uh, uh, we make sure that we get the blend right for you know what we're doing for the longer term, but what are we doing to make sure 
that our bread and butter comes in in the short term uh, uh, as well. And by and large, uh, it's been successful. One of the things we were surprised with is how quickly we got traction in some areas we did not realize. So the results started coming in quicker than we thought. Uh, we started working on changing our technology stack. You know, we used to have the old-fashioned stack, the IBM mainframes, the big data centers, the Oracle databases. And we decided to go cloud-native, cloud-enabled, open-source, um, etc. Um, one of the things that uh, happens when you do that and you do it in a thoughtful way is your cost of technology plummets. And so you actually start seeing within the first year or two a significant improvement in your short-term financials even as you're architecting your, architecting your technology for what is going to be long-term payoff and long-term benefits. So sometimes you surprise yourself. These two things are not necessarily contradictory. They actually feed off each other as well. Shifting gears, you know, you're very, very passionate in your focus on childhood cancer. What fuels your passion? Well, very personal. Um, you know, the one year when you, I took off from banking to do my entrepreneurship, at the tail end of that year, I was just going to you know, figuring what to do with my life. And uh, my sister, a couple of years younger than me, uh, developed uh, cancer of the colon. And she was based in East Europe at that time. So I put life on hold for a few months to see her through it. Um, she recovered. But uh, after that experience, she decided to devote her life to uh, cancer and cancer cure. And particularly focused on kids. Now, that resonated with me because, um, you know, I'm a big one for kids and uh, I'm convinced if you get uh, the, the children equation right, whether it's education or values or even physical health, uh, that is the best long-term return for any country or uh, any system. Uh, and so since uh, she had a personal experience, she wanted to do this, it resonated with me. And so I started uh, dedicating a little bit of my time to being an ambassador for her causes, shall we say. That's awesome. The most inspiring leader that you have worked for? Chet, that's kind of difficult. Frankly, I don't have any one. You learn different things from different leaders. Um, you know, some of my best uh, understanding of uh, banking, but also people management, came from my very first boss, actually. I worked for him for five years. He just helped me hone my management uh, skills and people skills. And then along the way, I worked for a guy called Aditya Puri, who just retired recently as one of the best banking CEOs I know uh, of HDFC Bank in India. And he really honed my business instincts. I mean, I remember he told me uh, once about, you know, never get into a relationship you can't control. And that's, that stayed with me, for example. Uh, and then I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the chairman of the board uh, for DBS, uh, Peter Sia, seasoned banker. But his instincts on, uh, and gut instincts on taking risk and where it's okay to push harder rather than not, has uh, also been quite enlightening for me. So I do think over time, you, you learn different things from different people. Frankly, I learn a lot from people younger than me as well. Uh, reverse mentoring, I call it. Uh, but if I had to choose a leader I admire, not somebody I worked with, uh, it would have to be Lee Kuan Yew, the um, you know, ex-prime uh, minister, senior mentor, minister mentor of Singapore. For me, what he did in this country, in, you know, in a 30-odd in a year period, took a 400-square-kilometer barren island with nothing, no water, no resources, no energy, no nothing, and made it a world-class country purely through some broad strategic frame but execution. That's just a remarkable story. So I have a lot of time for him and what he was able to create. What advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? You know, I've always been a 
uh, sort of analytical, right brain kind of person. So strategy, execution, getting it right has always been uh, my forte. Uh, over the years, I've come to believe that, uh, you know, what somebody said once, culture beats strategy. Culture eats strategy for breakfast is probably true. I think to get outsized performance, it's mostly about people and teams and uh, the culture that you can create, which is a winning culture. And so over the years, I've started devoting more and more time to issues of uh, engagement, of transformational leadership, of culture change. And my advice to my young self would really be that, that, you know, it's really the, uh, we, we come out of business schools, figuring the computer science courses and the hardcore marketing and finance courses are the ones which will stand us in good stead. Uh, in life, actually, it's always the OB courses, uh, organization behavior courses, and the the social psychology courses, uh, which you often wish you'd pay more attention to. Uh, that's the one piece of advice I would give myself. Yeah, no, I think we all would, right? It's the, the hard skills are really awesome, but make sure you focus on the soft skills as well, right? Yes, I think that's well put. So, so Piyush, I feel like we could, be, you know, talk for another hour and uh, hopefully we'll have another one of these and then we'll continue the conversation and actually double click on a few things uh, that you chatted about. Deeply appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it, Chet. We all have the ability to adapt to change. So as a leader, make sure you take everyone along on the journey of transformation. Create an environment where it's okay to experiment and take risks. Piyush also reminds us of the importance of balancing long and short-term goals. You need to stay true to your vision, but also celebrate the small wins along the way. Beyond just being the best at what you do, you should aim to make a positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Inspired Execution Podcast, hosted by Chairman and CEO of Datastacks, Chet Kapoor. We have many more guests and amazing stories to come, so stay tuned. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the series to be notified when a new episode is released. And for Apple Podcast listeners, please rate and review the show to help give it a wider reach to listeners such as yourself. And feel free to drop us any questions or feedback at inspiredexecution at datastacks.com.